MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Trena. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of the SI Media Podcast. On today's show, we are going to have two interviews. First up, from the Sports Business Journal, John O'Ran joins us to talk about the increase in Monday night, not in Monday night, in NFL ratings this season. Monday night football up, Thursday night, big increase with the Vikings and Rams. And uh, CBS getting a big bump on Sundays, Fox up as well. So John O'Ran from Sports Business Journal breaks down uh, the reasoning, what's going on, will the increase keep happening uh, in the NFL ratings. NFL has to be very happy with what's going on. They've bounced back a little bit this year after uh, ratings issues the past two years. And we get into the whole thing about what what's going on there with that. And uh, we also got into the Monday Night Football booth Joe Tessitore, who was on this podcast last week, Jason Witten, Booger McFarlane. They've had four weeks now. John and I give our thoughts on the booth, what should change, what we like, what we don't like. And uh, we also talk a little bit about the MLB postseason starting and what's going on with Fox and their plans for the future with live events and broadcast TV. So a good in-depth discussion there with John O'Ran, mostly on NFL ratings and Monday Night Football booth, and then we touch on a couple other things. And then after that, an interview with TBS's Brian Anderson, who'll be calling the baseball playoffs for the network. He will have the uh, AL series that will feature the Red Sox against either the Yankees or the A's. And Brian uh, also calls the NCAA tournament. The NBA playoffs, golf, does the Brewers games for Fox Sports Wisconsin. So we get into a lot of baseball things, uh, his broadcasting philosophy, um, you know, whether he takes criticism seriously, Bob Euchre, good conversation there with Brian Anderson. So it's John O'Ran and Brian Anderson on this edition of the SI Media Podcast. If you missed it last week, we had Joe Tessitore, Monday Night Football play-by-play guy, 
who was very good. So please check out that interview in the archives if you have not. Two weeks ago, Alan Seppenwall from Rolling Stone, the TV critic, had a great discussion about a bunch of TV shows. So those are all good in the archives. Next week, WWE superstar John Cena will be in studio for the SI Media Podcast. Looking forward to that one tremendously. But let's get to today's show with John O'Ran and Brian Anderson. Here is John O'Ran. All right. Joining me now is Sports Business Journal's John O'Ran to get into some sports media news. John, how are you? I'm doing great. I, I got to say, I'm feeling a little weird. I, I feel like I'm cheating on my guy, R.D., Jimmy. Uh, well, I think there's plenty of John O'Ran for everyone. <laughs> say that. All right, good, 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 good. I don't, you know, if you, if you feel dirty, you know, we could end the podcast now. I don't want you to. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm all in. All right. I'm all in. I'm just, just let you know. Well, I, I have reached out to you a couple of times about being on. We never worked out the timing. And I'm, I'm glad um, we could do this today. Uh, we're taping this on Tuesday afternoon. Podcast will be out Wednesday. Uh, because it seems each week now, now, now it doesn't seem like a fluke thing. It seems like a trend with NFL ratings going up in 2018 after the rough 2017 uh, early thoughts from you about the rating situation in the nfl yeah we're now like 25 percent through and the ratings are not going down uh, i think they're, they're up just slightly all told but in in the world of uh tv right now i just pulled up a, a quick stat you know when they had the season premieres for entertainment shows right the season premiere show of the voice was down 23 percent uh, the Big Bang Theory was down 41%. Young Sheldon was down 55%. I mean, this is sort of the TV landscape that we're in right now. So the fact that the NFL is coming, and they're not up a ton, but they're up a little bit, is, right. uh, is just great news for the networks. It's great news for sponsors. It's great news for the league. And I think what they should be happy about as well, and obviously you could speak to this way better than me, is it does seem like each week the increase is going up. I mean, they got... I know they had a nice rating for the uh, Vikings and Rams on Thursday night. The increase for the Monday night game, Chiefs-Broncos, was significant. I know CBS had a big Sunday this weekend. And so I'm going to throw two things at you. One, the increases seem to be getting a little bit larger each week. And two, I actually was surprised the increases were so good for all the windows this weekend only because I thought um, cable news would take a chunk out of the NFL because of the Kavanaugh situation, but the NFL held their own in basically every window this weekend. Yeah, and that was always my theory uh, back two years ago uh, in 2016. I just thought that Donald Trump took so much oxygen out of the room and that all the news networks got such crazy ratings and those viewers had to come from somewhere, and that's when the NFL started its its decline. Right. Well, I mean, this, this week, yeah, I mean, the cable news ratings were – up significantly over last year and, and, and the year before, and the NFL was uh, kept going. So, you know, th there's something magical that's happening in the league right now that's sort of stopping the decline, which, which is good. And th there are probably like a, a billion reasons for it. One of the, the offense, the quarterback, right. you know, the, the, uh, good, actually good matchups and good games to start the season off, uh, you know, helps out a whole lot. I, I do think I do think the fact that there's no defense being played in the entire league right now is is the biggest factor in the ratings increase. Plus, you know the Ram, if the Rams are on TV, you have to watch them. If the Chiefs are on TV, you have to watch them. The Patriots are still a story. Eagles off a Super Bowl struggling a story. Um, you know stories and players do a lot for ratings. 
I mean, that Monday night game uh, this week where the, the Chiefs came back was one of the most exciting games that I've seen regular season in, in a long time. And what's happening now is that it's an exciting game. People are seeing offense or seeing great plays, and they're starting to get to know the players. Yeah. So they're starting to get to know the quarterback and, and you know, Tyreek Hill and, uh, you know, and, and everybody on the Chiefs who – for the past, you know, decade or so, it's been kind of a nondescript team that that you know wouldn't wouldn't move the ratings needle a whole bunch. Also helps when you have a big market team like the Bears, who are back now. They're fun to watch. You know, for years they were just not watchable, and now you have a Chicago that market back in the mix. So another positive for the yeah. NFL there. Yeah, and and then and then you have you know, like you you mentioned the Patriots. Dallas is still reliable. Yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh, even though they haven't started well, they're, they're still a reliable ratings getter. I mean, so they, they've had, again, it's, it's good matchups and good games, and that generally helps the ratings. So I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone could ever definitively say what the cause was for the ratings dip in the NFL that they had last year, especially. I mean, it started to go down 2016 and then 2017. But, uh, you know, I was never I was never a believer that the anthem was the big factor. I thought maybe it was a very, very, very minute factor. I think the cable news Trump thing was a bigger factor. And I also think, and this is the this is the one that never gets talked about. And I, and I think you would know this better than anyone. You know, the, how about just you know the NFL probably just peaked in 2015. I mean, the ratings were so good, there was nowhere to go but down. So then you have the combination of sort of the league peaking. Um, you know, maybe they lose they lose a lot of big market teams who are good. Throw in the Trump cable news factor. Throw in the anthem, and it and it sort of made the perfect storm for the ratings to dip. I I don't know how anyone can pinpoint it on one thing, especially now that they've come back nicely this year. Yeah, I think that's a good point that that's rarely made is that all of these decreases are coming off all, an all time high. I mean, they set records in in 2015, and uh, you know I, the the thing about ratings though is that there are a billion reasons, and I do think that the the Trump led protests had an effect, had a negative effect on the ratings. Uh, something that I think is helping ratings this year that not a lot of people are looking at is the awful weather that's occurring on the East Coast that's keeping people inside and tuned into their televisions more often, more so than sort of if you have a perfect fall day and people are outside watching. So that's really helping out the uh, Sunday afternoon broadcast. I mean, so when you can talk about weather as being a, a reason for ratings going up, you just know that they're there are just so many different reasons that are out there, and, and every one of them is right, and every one of them is wrong in their own. In their own. <laughs> it's true. And, and this one obviously speaks near and dear to me, and there's just no way to quantify it. But I wonder if, if the um, the legalized betting is a factor at all this year as well. I don't know if it is. You know, I'm not sure if it's actually the legalized betting in terms of people actually making the bets, but there's been so so much ink spilled on on writing about betting and betting getting legalized and people starting to to, to view betting you know uh, in, in a different way yeah. maybe that's helps because the, the the rise of fantasy is one of the big reasons that, that uh, the NFL has always cited for right. why right. the ratings went up so much you know several years ago absolutely and it does, I mean listen you can't you, you could be a person out there who has zero interest in in football betting but you can't escape it anymore I mean the amount of shows that are out there, podcasts that are out there. It, it's the, everyone is, you know, SI included. Everyone's trying to just flood the market with gambling shows, and and they're all over the place. So, uh, you know, I, I I would have to assume it's a little bit. Of, I, I don't think it's significant, but I think it's a tiny factor, a tiny plus for the NFL. 
Yeah, and on the side of the business that I cover, which is you know the business of sports, yep. everybody. I mean, more more people are talking about uh, about gambling than like anything else that's happening in, in in sports, and everybody's trying to figure out how they can profit off it. Right. And everybody I talk to is like they're salivating because they just see the, see a ton of new money coming in. It's like back in the days of a uh, 2015 when the 2015 when DraftKings and FanDuel were you know spending all that money on on advertising and. The networks were laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah, and and the NFL still. I mean, I, I read this week they sort of put out the edict to the networks to not mention gambling, point spreads, and all that jazz. Um, I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's that could be good and bad in a way. I mean, I think you're going to get people. It, 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 I think by not addressing it, the people who are into it are, are frustrated by it. That and that actually causes, I think, some. Uh, Interest, so I don't, you know, I don't know. I wonder if Goodell's ever going to get on board. I mean, when they make money off it, they will. But to sit, you know, it, it, it's kind of depressing to me that Joe Tessitore on Monday night at the end there, when the Chiefs came back after the significance of the touchdown and the comeback and all that, he could have said, "And by the way, the line on this game was three and a half. It would have been nice." Yeah, yeah. I think that I think it's kind of silly, uh, I, I, but I do think that. Most people are watching television with a with a second screen up. That's giving them all that information anyway. So, right. so it's there. Well, that's, I, I, I had Tessitore on the podcast last week, and that's what he he said. And everyone knows the line if they want to know the line already. And I think, yeah, that's true. But when you know when you have a last minute cover like that, it's still worth mentioning, in my opinion, especially now if it's legal. Hey, uh, so, uh, how do you think Tessitore is doing? I, th- I thought he called a great game uh, on Monday night. Well, that's funny. Be- uh, you, uh, do you ha- I, can you see my notes here? Because my next thing to talk about was the Monday night football booth. You, oh, there you, you go. You segued without me having to segue. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a pro at this, Jimmy. I'll, I'll, say, I'll, I'll answer your question about Tessitore, but I will say this. I, I am shocked by – people are – I'm shocked by how people want to jump on Jason Witten – so viciously and so quickly, um, and I really think it's—I really think it's all because of Tony Romo last year. I, I've mentioned this before. Everyone's trying to catch the Tony Romo lightning in a bottle. So ESPN hires Witt and puts him in the booth Monday night. He clearly has room to improve, but you know they give him that big assignment. And um, you know, again, I've, I say this all the time. We're going off Twitter, so you got to take it with a grain of salt. But the response to Witten has not been great. My, this is my theory on the booth, and then I want yours. Um, I like Tessitore a lot. I think he's very good. He was great on college. I think he's good on Monday night. I like him. I think it needs to be a two-person booth. I, I hate three-man booths in almost every sport, especially in football. And I think Witten and Booger are... The, the chemistry is not there, and I think the broadcast would be a lot better if they went to Tessator and one analyst instead of the two. That's my feeling. What do you think, John? I think there's a potential for the chemistry to be there, but it's impossible for them to have chemistry when they're not all in the booth together. I, I don't get the Tony Saragusa type, let's put him down on the field. I don't right. think that that adds anything to the broadcast. Like, put him in the booth, let them play off each other, make eye contact with each other, and... and perhaps you would get a little bit better chemistry than, than you get right now. I mean, it seems like such a gimmick to me to have him down on the field. I, I don't see how that really adds, adds anything to the, uh, uh, to the telecast. Well, that's, on, but I, I don't want to keep plugging last week's podcast with Tessator, but I, I said about 10 times it was a gimmick and he fought back and said, it's not a gimmick, but it is a gimmick. 
Yeah, well, it feels it. Maybe it's not a gimmick, but it feels like a gimmick. Yeah. Does it, does that, uh, and it does, that, and it does seem like Booger has to then sort of it, the feel I got, especially last night, is that he's going to just sort of scream to jump in. And if you're in the booth, maybe you're using facial signals, hand signals with each other. But Booger just seems to have to jump in because he's on this crane on the field, and it, it's very awkward. Yeah, I forget what he said, but uh, I think it was in the fourth quarter. He made some sort of sarcastic comment that was obviously a joke, and it was greeted with utter silence for about three seconds. Like, like, how do I take this? And before Witten jumped in to, uh, to, you know, just kind of do a little bit of banter. Yeah. But I, I would, uh, I would actually agree completely with you. And the, the Jason Witten's problem is Tony Romo, because Tony Romo has never happened in the history of televised NFL um, football. Um, uh, you know, you think you think of the best analysts that are out there. John Madden started, you know, on, on like the, the fifth guy, the fifth analyst on, on CBS before he sort of rose up to the top. You know, Aikman didn't start in, in the top booth. Collinsworth didn't start in the top booth. It doesn't happen. And when it does happen, it never happens as successfully as Tony Romo did it. Because I think a lot of people, I mean, people, Tony Romo, a quarterback of the Cowboys, people loved him or hated him. Uh, I think people were dying to jump on him, and they were like, "Wow, he's actually pretty good." Right. And he and he, you know, sees the field, and he did really well, and he got completely positive reviews. Jason Witten has potential. He's not very good right now. I mean, I, I think that's uh, that, that's plainly obvious, and I, I think he's going to get better. I think he has potential to be a number one analyst, but he's he's not there yet, and he's thrown onto a national spotlight, and it's it's easy to it's just easy to bash him. I mean, he's just like I right, and this I. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I think, and the, the, I don't want to bash the guy, but the, I think there is valid criticism, and I think to piggy off, piggyback off of what you just said, I think the reason Tony Romo won over so many people and was an instant hit from the first second he did a game is because he was different. Jason Witten, forget whether he's good or bad, he's not different from any other analyst you hear on a Sunday at one o'clock, Fox, CBS, whether it you know whether it's Rich Gannon, whether it's um, uh, Chris Spielman. I mean, Jason Witten is no different from any of those people to me. Maybe I'm being harsh there, but uh, Tony Romo was different, and Witten to me could be any analyst on any game, basically. Yeah, and Tony Romo also was was replacing Phil Sims, and he brought in a certain energy. Yes, that also he made Nance better too, and like all of them, like that that was a booth that just had a lot of energy, and they were really good and fun, uh, fun to listen to. And I think the energy is coming from Booger and from uh, Joe Tessitore rather than than yeah. Witten. I think Witten's along for the ride right now. But again, I think he has potential. I'm, I'm not. I don't want to kill him because he's right. only done a couple of things. Right. Exactly. But, uh, You there? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, I ended. I ended. I ended my thought. <laughs> okay. Um, the uh, yeah, I just think. Listen, I, I I agree with you that Witten has potential. You want to go with Witten? Fine. You want to go with Booger? Fine. But I just I think it needs to be one. I think just the two of them because Tessitore does talk a lot, and Tessitore is a big personality, a lot of energy there. And I just think with two other people, it's it's just too much. You know, when Tessator calls a game, it just sounds to me like he's just having fun. I, li- I like listening to him. He, he, he seems to he, he seems to feel like the luckiest guy in the world that, that he happens to be calling whatever game he's at, and he's calling it like uh, you know with, with a lot of energy. So I, I, I have a lot of fun listening to him. Yeah, I agree. 
I agree. And it's genuine because, I don't know, unless he's acting all the time. But by, like I said, I had him on the podcast last week in person, and it, it was very genuine in my opinion. Um, I was going to go to baseball, but one quick thing. On the Thursday night, um, Fox has to be thrilled with, with their first game there with Vikings, Rams, and Buck and Aikman. And a lot of people saying it finally, Thursday night, finally had a big game feel. Do you think Buck and Aikman contributed to that, or was it because of the two teams involved or a combination of both? Yeah, I think Buck and Aikman have been doing this long enough that when they're calling a game, it feels like a big game. You know, it's right. sort of, you know, the big game voice. And I think having them there definitely gives that the feel. Frankly, I think that the game, the pictures from uh, from L.A. and the sunset over, like, you know, that the just an iconic stadium, I think that that, uh, that also helped uh, give it a, a big game feel. It just felt different. Uh, they added some bells and whistles to the production, so I think that helped. And I think the easiest bet that you can make this season is that Thursday night ratings are going to go up because, you know, Fox really did – uh, sacrifice some of their Sunday afternoon games in order to make the Thursday uh, schedule as good as it can be. And I, I think that, you know, if you take a look at the schedule, it, it is, well, I mean, objectively, it's the best Thursday night schedule that, that we've ever seen. Now I'm going to push back on, on you here because I was looking at the schedule. Let me pull it up now. I looked at it the other day. It's, I, I think it's getting very overrated when you see now how some of these teams are playing out. It, they're good for a couple of weeks because they have the Patriots this week, Patriots Colts, so the Patriots are always going to be interesting. And the week after that, they have Eagles Giants, which, listen, the Giant offense is unwatchable, but it's an you know it's an NFC East game. I'll give you that. The week after that, Denver Arizona is a rough game. The week yeah, after that, yeah, and then the week after that, Miami at Houston. You know, Houston just got their first win. The Dolphins now will see how they handle hold up. After that, the Raiders at the Niners without Garoppolo and the Raiders, you know, not really being great. So they have a rough little stretch there in the middle, I think. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that how that ends up playing out. I think the schedule is good, but I think now every, because Thursday night has always been so bad, we think this is a great schedule. It's not great. It's it's good. I would temper it a little bit. It's, it's it's certainly not not even close to being a Sunday night football schedule. You're, you're right. right about that. And Thursday night, you still have the problem. You know, Sunday night, you can load up with five Cowboys games. <laughs> Thursday night, you still have to have every single team represented on a Thursday night just because of the com- competitive issue. So they will run into some problems, like like you just said. But it, it is a ton better than, than any Thursday night uh, schedule that I've seen. Um, the baseball postseason is about to begin, and – Baseball postseason usually does good numbers. You know, you don't hear much about baseball anymore during the year because it's such a localized sport. Uh, anything you're expecting from a rating standpoint for the MLB postseason? I mean, listen, they got who knows what happens with a one game playoff. We're taping this before the one game stuff, but you know, Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs, Dodgers. That's got to make Fox and TBS happy. Yeah, I mean, the the thing about baseball, and it's funny talking about that coming from uh, talking about football, where you have like the Green Bay Packers as one of the you know top top ratings getters in, in the league. They are so dependent on big markets and big brands uh, going through. I think that if they had like if they ended up with the Brewers Astros World Series, I think you know Fox you know Fox will go crying. <laughs> you know, they, they 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 really need the Yankees or Red Sox or the Cubs or Dodgers to, uh, to, to step up. And so, you know, everything with the postseason baseball, if those teams step up and 
if it's a competitive series that goes about you know six games or so, they'll be happy. I mean, if they have uh, if they have a uh, Red Sox Yankees series that goes four games, you know that they're, they're not going to be thrilled with that. Right. They'd rather have they'd rather have a, another one that goes seven games. Uh, this one's going to be a little off the beaten path, but. I, w- I want to get your take because you would know this better than anyone. A couple of weeks ago on on the podcast, the SI Media Podcast, I had the great TV critic Alan Seppenwall on. And uh, we, we talked about the state of broadcast television. And he said he could see a scenario in five to ten years where Fox does not exist anymore. Now, not, not Fox, not FS1, but the Fox network does not exist. And I found that fascinating from the standpoint of they have the NFL, they have it on prime time with Thursday night with this contract. They just acquired the WWE because if I'm not mistaken, the Fox strategy now going forward is they're going to try to get out of scripted TV and go to all live events. Is there any, can you shed any light on this whole scenario with Fox and what they're doing? And could you see a situation where they're ever out of business that quickly? You mentioned it because of the, because they were the, the, they were bought by, there was some business thing where they lost something and was sold. I don't. I can't even follow it because the business stuff makes my what, head scrap. What, was he? Was he, ta- I, I, he? I can't imagine he was talking about that Fox would just just fold up shop. He was probably talking about the whole idea of a uh, free broadcast that has different affiliates in different markets. They would well, get rid of the whole affiliate system. Right. Well, he was talking about Fox, the network. Would he could see a situation where they're not in business? I don't know. That's what he said. Well, uh, that's interesting. I, I I don't see that at all. I think that you know, Fox basically they streamlined their their whole uh, um, outfit. They sold all their entertainment assets, you know, FX and the the, uh, the RSNs to Disney, um, a movie studio and everything. Uh, and think- so now they, they now they have uh, a broadcast channel, and the whole broadcast channel is predicated on live events. Right. Be it, um, you know, uh, the um, I can't I can't even think of what their reality shows are. I almost said Dancing Hell, with the Stars. Hell, Hell's Kitchen. They have Hell's Kitchen and all the Gordon Ramsay stuff. On yeah, Fox. and and what they're doing is you know Thursdays in the fall. You know, and fall is a big time. That's that's the NFL. They just uh, they signed the WWE deal. So on Fridays they're going to have the WWE. So Fox is going to win Thursday. They're most likely going to win Friday, and they're trying to strip out other aspects of uh, uh, during other days of the week to where the, the prime time hours are going to be, you know, a live type programming that gets the most ratings right now. I mean, because earlier I just went through the season premieres of all those entertainment shows. I mean, entertainment, if you want to watch entertainment, you're going to Netflix or Amazon or you're, you're not generally going to broadcast. So right. That's part of their strategy in sports is, is the main part of that, that whole live strategy. Yeah, he, he had mentioned them selling off all their – like you mentioned, the, the RSNs are gone, FX and all that. He had mentioned all that and Disney buying everything. And I think that's what led him to say where he could see a situation where Fox Network doesn't exist in five to ten years. Um, if Fox Network doesn't exist, that, that would be because you know the cable industry has – you know the cord cutters have, has taken that down to zero because they make a, a lot of money in what's called retransmission consent. I mean these cable systems pay a lot of money to keep Fox on their uh, – on their system, so it would it would take a lot for them to uh, to just close it down. So I, I, I'll just come right out and say it: I'm not smart enough to understand all of this deal with Disney buying the RSNs. Can you just what is it on a very basic level? What does this mean for sports fans with Disney buying these Fox RSNs? Uh, we don't know yet. Disney, uh, Disney now owns the RSNs. The government has said that Disney, because it owns ESPN, is not allowed to keep the RSNs. So so they're now looking to shop the RSNs around 
And uh, plenty of suitors, including Fox, actually looking to buy him back, is uh, are stepping up to see if um, you know if they want to buy the, the Fox Sports RSN. So uh, in New York, that means uh, the Yankees, uh, Yes Network, right. um, which which uh, the Yankees have talked about possibly buying back from uh, from ESPN, and they have a clause in their contract that allows them to do that. So I, I, the reason I, I don't know, I don't know who's going to buy them. I mean, if they get bought by you know, let's say in Amazon, you know, that, that could be really interesting. You could get a whole lot of investment in there. Hmm. They get bought by a Sinclair, you know, you might, maybe you wouldn't get a lot of investment in there. I mean, it, 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 it who knows? So it's, uh, whoever buys them, is gonna, that's going to be a year worth of stories that I'm going to be able to report and write out. So, But it sounds like for the time being, sports fans aren't going to be affected by this for a while yeah, you know sports fans go to rsns to watch their base their, their favorite teams like baseball basketball or hockey and they're still going to be able to do that for the time being. all right uh, for, for, the, for the foreseeable future yeah, so yeah. for the general consumer it's not it doesn't matter to them at all gotcha all right i appreciate your time today um the nfl stuff is very interesting um i'd be curious to see if this keeps up they, it seems like they've got some momentum because of what's going on on the field so uh NFL looks I like do find it interesting that it that it hasn't become part of a uh, political rallies like like it like it did last year. Well, so I, I wonder if, if the ratings were down. I do wonder if, if this would become sort of a talking talking point at uh, at the president's rallies. I I have a feeling before the midterm election he will send out a tweet or at one of his rallies he will mention maybe Eric Reed being back in the NFL or mention a couple of Dolphins players kneeling for the anthem. It does seem like I I'd be shocked if if he does not address it at all before the midterm elections shocked yeah we'll, we'll see if the ratings keep going up i'm not sure what, what what he'd be able to say other than uh other than trying to call for another boycott well, he'll still say they're going down even though they go I mean, <laughs> the facts are not exactly at the top of his list of priorities all right all right john thanks a lot i do appreciate it and uh we'll talk to you soon jimmy thanks for having me on man anytime take care All right, everyone, this episode of the SI Media Podcast is sponsored by Lightstream. Let me tell you about Lightstream. Have you ever looked at your credit card statement and just been shocked by the amount of interest you pay and the interest rate on your credit card bill? Did you know you could actually roll all of your credit card debt into just one monthly payment at a lower and fixed interest rate? You can do that with Lightstream. They offer credit card consolidation loans from 5.89 APR with AutoPay. That is lower than the average credit card interest rate of over 18% APR. So with Lightstream, you go from 18% APR to 5.89%. Also, if you get a loan between $5,000 and $100,000 from Lightstream, you can get your funds as soon as the day you apply. My listeners will get a special discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash media. That is lightstream.com slash media, L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash media. Lightstream, of course, subject to credit approval. Rate includes a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash media for more information. All right, joining me now, MLB playoffs are here. So we speak to the MLB on TBS play-by-play man, Brian Anderson. Brian, how's it going? 
Hey, Jimmy. Great to be with you. It's going great. My favorite time of year right here. I can't wait. I was going to say, this is uh, baseball takes over now for a little bit. It's got to be exciting for you. And um, the workload is pretty good at this time of year for you because the playoffs are pretty relentless. Yeah, it is. You know, you're trying to learn as much as you can, especially the days leading up to the game starting and then you get through the wild card game, then you start up a new series. So it's the the accumulation um, that is the biggest challenge. You know, you're trying to accumulate and make sure that you're buttoned up and talk to as many players and executives as you can. And then once the game starts and then the series begins, it does get easier. There's more pressure, obviously, on the games, but the, the, then you have games to build off of. Uh, you can talk about game three when you're in game four and, and, you know, it just keeps going on. There'll be certain at bats that uh, have happened that you can reference back to, but until it actually starts, there's a lot of, a lot of questions to be asked and uh, a lot of information to be gathered. Now is a season like this weird for you in any way in that you do the Brewers games for Fox sports, Wisconsin, you've been doing them for a long time and the Brewers are in the playoffs, uh, but you're going to be calling you have the one game. We're taping this for everyone listening because you'll get this on Wednesday. Wednesday night is the Yankees A's play-in game. We're taping this Tuesday afternoon. So if you listen past Wednesday, that's why there may be a little confusion. Um, so you're going to get you're going to do Yankees A's on Wednesday night in the one game playoff, and then you'll be assigned to uh, Yankees Red Sox or Red Sox A's, depending on what happens in that one game playoff. So with the Brewers now in the postseason, is there a little part of you that? It's like, oh, I wish I could call those Brewers games. Or is it almost better that you don't because then you got to deal with the Homer aspect of it from people on Twitter? Yeah, I mean, I've done the Brewers twice in the postseason. I've called play-by-play for TBS in 2008, then, then again in 2011. Right. Um, both occasions the Brewers lost those series. And it's, um, it, it's not a big deal. It's not as big of a deal as people would think or they want to think. There's no especially from a play-by-play position because you're, you know, you're, you're so into the micro of it, you know, and really for me, my language would be, would be commercial to commercial, you know, okay, what are we doing this half inning? And you're just, there's no room to be a fan. There's right. no room. I, I work for the Brewers. I've been with them for 12 years. I certainly want them to succeed. And I'm, I can actually be a bigger fan of the Brewers when I'm not covering their series. Right when I'm not actually on television than I can when I'm not. But when I did the Brewers those two times and in the postseason, um, I was nervous about it, worried about it. You're, there's going to be people that just automatically assume you're going to be swing one way or the other with your homerism. It, it's just not the case. I mean, we just don't – we want good games, and we want compelling games, and we're so locked into what is the next graphic, what is the next play, what is the next video package – you just, it, you're not even stepping back enough like a fan would, and I've been a fan, so there's a major difference. It's hard to explain if you haven't been in the seat, but at no point uh, am I ever calling a Brewers game for a network wanting the Brewers to have this great moment so my team can win. It just it doesn't happen that way. And then on the other side, you know, I would prefer to not do the Brewers because of that part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm able, I'm able to follow the American League this year and then, keep uh, one eye on the Brewers and their progress. I will not have a Brewers game this year, so um, it, it makes it great that I can, you know, I can pull for those guys that I know so well and I've just spent the last seven months with. 
I'll probably turn off a lot of <clears throat> non-East Coast people with this question, but if the Yankees beat the A's in the one-game playoff, you call Yankees Red Sox. As a, as a broadcaster, is that special? Is that any? Is there any extra meaning there? Is it just a cool thing to be able to call a Yankee Red Sox series, or you don't care at all? No, I do care. I mean, I, it is special. It, I try not to go mentally go there to the historical nature of it. Just, again, back to I have a job to do. I have plays to call. I have information to give and context to try to give uh, to everything I'm doing. So, yeah, I mean, it's cool, and you sit back and you think about it. But then uh, once you get into it, and I've done Red Sox-Yankees a number of times uh, in the regular season, um, you know, it's like any great rivalry, you know, and you want to make sure that you're covering that appropriately. So uh, it's an honor, really. It's an honor that Turner feels, you know, good about me on that game. And, and you know, I've I've spent my life uh, trying to be a better broadcaster and a great broadcaster, and that's my, my goal, my career. And so to be able to get a, a game like that, if that's the way it ends up, if, if the Yankees do beat the A's in the wild card game, then it's cool until you get on the air and then it's a baseball game and you just do what you normally do. Are you, do you um, follow criticism? Do you check Twitter? Do you tune out any feedback on Twitter? I, you know, I always like to ask play by play people this question because I think they're insane (laughs) if they're on Twitter. How do you handle it? (laughs) No, I'm on Twitter and I don't follow criticism or like, I don't, scour comments but will or you, do you check your mentions i, I um, you know I, I i think the answer is, is yes but not to the point where if it comes from you i would say okay i'm gonna actually listen to this and see if there's something if there's annoying habits or something that's uh, bothersome that i may not have picked up on but generally no i mean i think you know i have a circle of people that i trust as far as critiques go including an old professor of mine um so no i i think you know there's a built-in resistance to anybody calling your team's games that's not your team's announcers right. uh, announcer i've been doing this since 2008 and that that happens every year it just that's the way it is when you hear a different voice you know i may not say the names of your team exactly like your hometown broadcasters would you know and I may not talk about them in the same kind of narrative as your hometown broadcasters do. And so I think it's, that's really the biggest part of doing national TV. You know, I've talked to guys like Bob Costas and John Miller and Joe Buck. And, you know, I think everybody is in agreement and, and even Ben Scully, you know, before he retired, had a lot of conversations with him about doing the game. And if you, if you get, a bunch of people saying you're a homer for one team and the other half saying you're a homer for the other team, then you've probably done a pretty good job. So I don't have any ulterior motives. I I just try to celebrate success is my only rule. And so if your team is not having any success and the other team is, it's going to sound like I'm probably partial for the team that does have the success because I don't want to low-key the moments. I want the successful moments to be representative of the team and the fan base that's having the special moment. Mm -hmm. So I will raise my voice just as loud calling the Brewers and the Cardinals when Albert Pujols hit a home run as I would when Prince Fielder hit one, you know, and I think that rubbed a lot of Brewers fans the wrong way back 
back in 2011. So the same principle applies. <laughs> I, I choose, instead, a lot of guys will take it down and keep it on a lower key. Um, you know, I believe in the Kevin Harlan method. I'm going to get loud and celebrate success because I know how much it matters to the fan base and the players that are achieving that success. It's that's funny. Brewers fans got on you for being excited during a pool hole. Still get on. Yeah, that's that's, that's seven years later. (laughs) This is really inside media, but it 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 really is one of the weirdest things about sports broadcasting. In 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 that, um, you know, local announcers who do baseball, yourself, for example, doing the Brewers. You know, you're there for you know maybe you don't do 162 games, but a lot of the TV people do you know big bulk of the games 100 plus let's say and the playoffs come and you disappear and the national guys take over I mean you're lucky that you you have this national gig with TBS but um, you know it's very strange that you know the fans are with their local guys for 100 and and women for 162 days and then 162 games and then the postseason starts and and they're non-existent it's it's a weird thing and in, in sports broadcasting i think well the beauty of the beauty of it too and and you know i've been obviously i'm on both sides so when i have and there are going to be announcers that are going to go in and do the brewers now in the postseason and they did i i remember back in 2011 when victor rojas did the lds when i did the yankees and tigers uh in 2011 but you know it you're going to get it from both sides but um i try to arm those individuals with as much info as i can and you know today as we're recording this it's a it's tuesday it's the workout day and i've just spent the last hour with yankees and a's personnel my broadcast colleagues and people who are covering the team and that's kind of what we do you know we we want to give the information we have i have information on the brewers that no national announcer will ever know because mm-hmm. i've been with them seven months and i fully understand that with the yankees and the a's and the red Sox and whoever i'm going to be covering but that's part of the challenge is, and the fun of it really is to go learn about as much as you can and all the relationships that you built and the, the players that you know from years past. Like for me, Jonathan Lucroy is a guy that I know well, the catcher of the A's. And so I spent a lot of time with him today to find out where his head is and what you know, kind of the, the theme of their ball club is. So that's why it's such a relationships-oriented business, as you well know in your line of work. It, it works the same. And then the last thing about having not having your local guys, you always have the radio. Right. And the, the beautiful thing about the MLB app is you can always overlay, you can always overlay the radio calls, and that's kind of my default. If if, if we're too much for you, hmm. <laughs> then just put on your home home announcers, and everything yeah. will be fine. <laughs> well, here in New York, we have John Sterling, who's a legend. So, um, you of course, know, it's. You go from that to the t- to the national TV broadcast. It's like two completely different worlds. Um, <laughs> you, As you, it should be, depending yeah. on who's paying. <laughs> so you're you're going to call Yankees A's with Ron Darling and Dennis Eckersley, and then the next yeah, series and is Shahadi. Yeah, and then the next series is just you and Darling in the booth. That's correct. Yeah, and, Eck will go. Eck will join Don, uh, Don Orsillo and right. go to the other division series, Astros, Indians. So that's another. So you have two Red Sox. I mean, I know Orsillo does the Padres now, but he was the, with the Red Sox forever. So you have the two Red Sox there and Eckersley with the A's. So you have Ors- So you could have a Red Sox A series and Orsillo and Eck will be calling the other series with the Astros and Indians. Another another interesting twist there. Um, I, I ask all play-by-play people this question. Do you prefer two-person booth or three-person booth? I always prefer a two-person booth, except for a guy like Eck. 
um, <laughs> and not. I'm not just saying that because he's on the air with us, but Eck is, you know, a three-person booth works well. If you know, from a play-by-play perspective, it works. I've worked with Dennis Eckersley and Joe Simpson for a number of years now, um, and that's hitter-pitcher combo. So it, it's really important to quarterback that side of it. So you know, it's a different uh, execution of play-by-play. You still have to be on top of every play, but you also you also have to recognize, uh, like a point guard would, who's who's getting the ball. You know, who hasn't got the ball right. in a while. Are we are we two pitcher defense centric right now, or are we? Do we need to get more into some hitting? Do we need to do some teaching here? Like, so when you're in a two man booth, you don't, you don't. That never is, is even part of your mind. You don't. Your thought process is completely different. Mm-hmm. You. You throw it out there for me. You know, we call it teeing up in the business. So you, you put a notion out there, you tee it up. If if the analyst takes it, he takes it. If not, no big deal. And then you move on. So when it's a three man booth, you have to function a little bit different. But I will say this about Eck is like he, there's no ego there. He's a pretty reactionary announcer as it is. So he's going to react to things he sees. And I've worked with him so many years now. It's easy for me to recognize when he's eager to get in, and then you know, I will address him like, Eck, your thoughts, or mm-hmm. would you see their Eck? That way he knows it's, it's time. And then, and then like I, Ron and I just had a conversation um, a few minute, minutes ago here at Yankee Stadium that um, Ron's never worked for Eckersley. And I said, you know, what really is the goal here is that you two, you two great TV analysts and great players, Eck, a Hall of Famer in his right, that you guys have a conversation. And I don't, have the need to get involved in that. I could facilitate and call the plays, but once those two guys are having a conversation, uh, then it's at its best because you two guys with incredible knowledge um, that are giving you their analysis that that's what they're paid to do. So um, it's actually easier. It's harder to know when to step in and step out, but it's easier from an actual volume of words and, you know, things you may say or, or the, the narrative you may be trying to to get to. I'm usually very anti-three-person booth, but in baseball it's okay, I think, just because there's so much downtime. So it, it it works better there than in most sports. And Darling, yeah. I, I can't say I'm like overly familiar with Eckersley, but I know Darling's work well, and he's obviously great. I, I do think you have Darling and Met and Eckersley or Red Sox. It's a tough sell for the Yankee fans out there, but hopefully they're, uh, <laughs> they'll be there for Brian Anderson and his great play-by-play on uh, Wednesday. Um, you're, you're one of the more versatile broadcasters out there. You do the NCAA tournament, the NBA playoffs. I, I, didn't, I didn't know you've done a bunch of golf. You used to work at the Golf Channel. Um, what is your favorite sport to call? Well, I, it's not a stock answer, but it is the truth. I... I really enjoy whatever I'm doing. I, I played all sports growing up. I played college baseball, so I, I was better at baseball than any other sport, and that's what allowed me to get a college scholarship and go play baseball, and that's kind of where my wheelhouse is, and I've done more baseball games than any other sport, uh, having gone through the minor leagues and you know doing the full schedule for nine years in minor league baseball on the radio. <clears throat> but I played all the sports, and you know, I do really enjoy whatever I'm doing. Like when I'm in the middle of the NCAA tournament, I, I, I say to myself, this is the greatest thing I do all year. Mm-hmm. And I say the same thing when I'm in the middle of the NBA playoffs and 
the same thing when I go do the PGA Championship. And I, I remember uh, just a couple of months ago walking the fairways at Bell Reeve at the PGA Championship in the practice round thinking, well, how lucky am I that I'm walking these fairways, you know, right now with Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth and we're in the, in the ropes. And I mean, so I do, I, whatever I'm in, I'm all in and I feel like I'm the luckiest guy in the world. And so I don't, I think baseball is the one where I can probably relax the most, even though it's the hardest sport to call from an execution standpoint of play by play, but I know the game and it's in me and, I've just been around it my whole life. So that's the sport where I don't have to think about, okay, what are the next three things that are important to this game? Because I, I just, it's, it's in me so deep that I know that basketball, it's more, let's talk to the analysts. Okay. What's important to you right now? And let me, let me set you up for that that piece so i'd say baseball probably is the one that's like the old shoe for me it's it's interesting to me that you would say baseball is like that because i would think um well no i get well you say baseball is the easy yeah baseball is the easiest because i would think with the ncaa tournament you know you can't be overly familiar with some of those teams no matter how much research you do you you know you're calling you know (laughs) a a weird 16 or 15 seed You, you don't know those teams well the nba playoffs are just so frantic so fast at least, and baseball obviously is the slowest of the three, so I would think. So I'm not surprised baseball would be the easiest to call of the three, um, but the the pace being so different for you as a play by play person, um, do you it, it, is it a huge adjustment for you going from basketball to baseball? Is it easy? To- no, I think the the biggest adjustment uh, that I make every year is going from college basketball to the NBA. Okay. That's the biggest one because of the shot clock, because of the pace of the game. You know, you really, it's just a completely different, you never finish an NBA game feeling like, man, I'd nail that. It's just, uh, it's like you're surfing, you know, and you're just on top of that wave the whole game. And the game's over and it flies by in your mind. And then you go, wow, I don't know what I said there. Um, But I, I think, you know, baseball, what's interesting about baseball, I, if you're not into the game like I am, and I'm way into it, I, I love every inch of it, it does move slow as far as the action plays. But between every pitch, there's so much going on that is so interesting in a baseball game that that's kind of why I enjoy it the most. You know, the the signs, the counts, the one pitch leading to the next. So it's I think – for a lot of people who have never done, I've talked to Marv Albert about this, you know, he's never done baseball and would never do baseball. He told me because it does allow you a lot of time to have to fill, but it, I don't never look at it like fill. I, I look at it like what's interesting right now in the next 10 seconds or 20 seconds before the next pitch. And for me, that's the beauty of the game right there. There's so much, uh, so much there. And baseball on television is a, is a play-by-play slash director's game where the director is is driving a lot of the content by his shots, you know. Mm-hmm. So I take every ball, every pitch I use with, with the naked eye, and after there's a result, I will go to the monitor, and everything that leads up to the next pitch is coming off the monitor. And so the director really has a huge impact in a baseball game. And then in basketball game, it's more producer play-by-play. If you think about it as a band, you know, and 
and the bass player and the drummer have to be in sync, right? And then there's the lead singer and the, the lead guitarist are working off each other. And that changes depending on the sport you're doing. So NCAA tournament, NBA playoffs, MLB. Give me the single greatest game you've ever called, one game. Well, most memorable. The, it could be the most yeah, memorable. Yeah, most memorable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the most memorable game is probably, I mean, for sure for me and my career, but uh, the Roy Halladay no-hitter in 2010. I mean, that was just, that was a moment in time that, you know, you just, it, it's never happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was only the second time a no-hitter had ever been thrown in the postseason, obviously Don Larson. But that game wasn't televised. So this was truly an, an original. This was the first televised no-hitter in Major League Baseball postseason history. And as thrilling as it was and as, you know, as great as it was to be there, I, I remember just the, the hours after just being terrified of, of uh, how did I do? What did I say? Did I make any mistakes? Did I miss anything? Just, you know, you got these thoughts come in your head because you know this is a, an historic moment. Um, and I still haven't watched that game. Did you? To this day, I, I I can't bring myself to watch. I've seen highlights, right? And I've I've seen that final call millions of times, but I've never just sat down and watched a game because I just don't. I can't even relive it that way. <laughs> I don't even want to. It's just such an out of body experience for me that I, I would imagine too, as the game goes on, it becomes more of an out of body experience for you. You know Did, what's amazing about that, Jimmy, is you can't. The things that you know that you could just recite that you've been talking about since you were a kid that you, you forget in a game like that right. for a moment. You're like, wait a minute. Who, who threw a no-hitter for the Yankees in the playoffs? Oh, in the playoffs. Wait, Don, what was his name? Don? Don, uh, Don, Don Larson. <laughs> like, I mean, things that are so in you that you're questioning yourself of every single piece of information you're disseminating at that point so it, it was wild and, man it was a really cool experience did you uh, mention th- did you mention throughout that game there was a no hitter going on or are you one of the announcers yeah. who believes in the jinx no and, no no i don't play by i play by the vin scully rules that's uh i i said it i said he had a no hitter going for the first time in the fifth inning of that game okay uh oh, when it's early Jay bruce drew a walk to break up the perfect game and as the inning ended i said you know, perfect game over, no hitter still intact, and and every inning after that. So, I guess I didn't jinx it that day. Is is there in a an arena or stadium you have not yet called a game in top of the list where you'd want to call a game? Um, I would have to say probably you know some of those Premier League stadiums. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to dare call a, a soccer soccer match, football match. In the Premier League, I would have no skills to do that. But, uh, you know, like Anfield, uh, where Liverpool plays, and I was just imagining, I went there last year and imagining just being in this environment as a broadcaster and how cool that would be, you know, the, the singing in unison and the cop, which is uh, in behind the goal, basically in the end zone, which is this famous area. Um, in, in the States, I mean, you know, Madison Square Garden was always a place like that for me until I had a chance to call college basketball games there and NBA games. And, um, you know, Wrigley Field, before I started working for the Brewers, I always dreamed of calling a game at Fenway Park or Wrigley Field or Yankee Stadium. I never 
had a chance to call a game at the old Yankee Stadium, mm-hmm. um, which is a bummer. But yeah, it's uh, way better than those, the new those, one. Yeah, those are kind of on the list. Yeah. Places like I really, because I was a huge Mel Allen fan from this week in baseball as a kid. I and then I, I feel like I did every book report for about six consecutive years on Mel Allen and Ernie Harwell, and all my book reports were on you know great broadcasters. And I just, you know, those guys were from the South and they went to the North. You know, Ernie Harwell was the guy that I really uh, locked on to and just loved, you know, I loved um, learning his story. So those old time announcers, you know, Red Barbers and the Mel Allens and the Ernie Harwells of the world. It's amazing. It would have been cool to work. Yeah, it's, you know, I feel so old when I hear about Mel Allen and This Week in Baseball, just because I, yeah. I mean, people today don't understand that, like, that's how you saw highlights for out-of-market teams. And, yeah, yeah. And then, and then they, you know, the MLB's done a great job archiving some of these games yeah. that Mel Allen would call, and oftentimes they would have, you know, the, each team's home announcer, and in New York was just such a huge presence back in the 50s. It, it was always, you know, Vinny or Ernie Harwell, who was the Giants announcer, or Mel, or, um, you know, they always had those those calls, um, those games and those highlights. And I just love listening to the game, not just the highlights, but the game, the nuance between the pitches and between the innings. And, right. You know, the innings were so short, uh, but the between inning time was so short. It literally, like, 75 to 90 seconds. Yeah. Um, and there was... So it, the pace of it was so great, you know. Uh, that's what I enjoy about it, and how they would call it, and and they were doing more like the ticker reveal of a literal play by play. Like, okay, he's standing in there now. Okay, yeah. he, you know, he's swinging, he's waving the bat uh, over his right shoulder. You know, it was so descriptive and just so poetic. I, I love that still about about those days. That's why I miss doing radio so much. Speaking of radio, and you mentioned Vince Scully and, and some other. Uh, historic announcers. You have one there in Milwaukee with the Brewers with Bob Euchre. Uh, what's your relationship? So he does the radio, you're on TV, but I assume Correct. you have a relationship with Euchre, and uh, yeah. I'm sure you have some stories. Yes, I do. Unfortunately, I can't share any of them, but it's more secrecy. No, we have a great relationship. We, he doesn't play as much golf anymore, but that's the golf side of it. I had I had come to the Brewers from the Golf Channel and he was and is, but was at that time a big golfer and loved to play. And uh, we would spend a lot of time on the golf course. And, um, and you know, he's just um, he's a little different in that for a guy like me who's kind of a broadcasting nerd. And I'm, I'm totally into the mechanics of broadcasting and talking about it. And he doesn't do that. Right. You know, he, he, he thinks of himself as a player still that just kind of stumbled into broadcasting and that's been his job, but he, he has a locker in the clubhouse. He stays in, you know, with the players and he spends time with the players and he's not a guy that's going to, Hey, give me advice on how to call a no hitter or, a, or a, a great moment. He, I've never had a conversation like that with him mm-hmm. ever about mechanics or how to do play by play. Cause he doesn't still all these years later, he's been doing it since 1971. He doesn't think of himself as an announcer. Right. He, he knows he does it. He's in the Hall of Fame, the Ford C. Frick Award, as an announcer, but he doesn't think of himself that way. So it's a it's an interesting relationship. He'd love to tap in, and it's always a thrill when he joins me on the air. He came on with us in St. Louis a couple of weeks ago. It was just phenomenal mm-hmm. having him. I, I let him do play-by-play. I wanted him to do play-by-play, and I just sat back and watched him. Um, 
because he's so interesting and so funny. And I think what I remember the most or will remember about my time with you is always going to be that four o'clock bus ride and just the hilarity that he offers for free on the bus for everybody who rides the bus. He sits up in the front when he was traveling and just, I can't, I mean, it, his mind is so sharp and he's, I was going to say the, so en- the energy still I've, seems to be there too. I heard, it um, is, no question. I heard the last inning of the, of the, Cubs Brewers won game 163 on the radio. I, was, I happened to be in the car. They played it on Sirius, and um, I hit, the pipes are still there. The energy is still there. It's amazing. Yeah, it is, and he hasn't lost. Uh, and he's got great passion for the game, and he truly embraces these pennant race seasons, which don't come around in Milwaukee very often. So he's he's an icon. He's the most famous person ever from Milwaukee, I think (laughs) (laughs) he has two statues at Miller park and you know, that can be cumbersome for him trying to get around uh, because (laughs) he is, he has people yell lines from major league at him all the time. Um, (laughs) it's never with you, but at, at, in his soul, he is a baseball broadcaster and that's what he does. And that's who he is. And that's what he really wants to do is call baseball games and be a part of a team and so he does that and uh you know he's he's in a, he's a one of a kind i mean no one's done it like him no one will ever be able to do it like him um and hopefully he keeps working for a long long time i wonder, I wonder if he can go one day without someone saying just a bit outside to him no no he's got all the lines coming at him you know just a bit outside his famous home run call you know is get up get up get out of here gone and Right. People right. shout that at him all, all the time and must be in the front row. He gets that a lot. So, yeah, it's pretty much a daily occurrence. Um, and I'm, I'm usually walking with him to the elevator every day. So, yeah, he, he, he does get it a lot. <laughs> He's good with it, though. Yeah, you got to be good with it because not going to escape it. All right, well, I, I really appreciate the time, and I'm looking forward to the uh, MLB playoffs on TBS. Like I said, Brian will have the winner of Yankees A's against the Red Sox, Fenway Park. Now, you know, it's interesting. Fenway gets a – listen, there are a few places in sports more iconic than Fenway Park, but you always hear about how horrible the stadium is in terms of the locker room. And is the is the booth that way too at Fenway? Is the, Does the booth leave a lot to be desired or is no, it okay no. there? No, the booth's great. The booth's, so it's the clubhouse uh, I mean, I that's a problem. Clubhouses are small, and I think that's what would be the complaint from a player. But the booth – Booth is great. I mean, they have the old windows up, which creates, you know, you have the framing of the windows, so it creates some sightline issues if you got to kind of move around a little bit. You know, you know, um, Yankee Stadium is as clean of a look and a booth as you could have. I mean, if you, if they asked me to design a booth, it would be exactly what's here at Yankee Stadium. Hmm. Fenway, there are challenges. You're more on top of the ball. It feels more like a catbird seat. Yeah. So you're more on top of the plate, and so. The angles are a little – it takes a little bit to get used to, so it's important to go out and watch batting practice from up there. And uh, But, you know, it's a, it's just a great place to do a game, and there's plenty of room in the booth. And uh, we're always thinking about table space and where's the nearest bathroom. That's really all that matters. And can this series go seven games? That's basically what you want out of everything, right? Or, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, obviously, yes, is a five-gamer. Five game, yeah. The LCS want the seven. The elimination games for both teams are what makes it magical, and that's why the wild card game is such a treat because you start the whole thing <laughs> with the elimination. Yeah. yeah, it was a good thing baseball started doing with that for sure. Yeah. 
All right, Brian, appreciate thanks. it. Yeah, Jimmy, thanks for having me. It's an honor. I appreciate that. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you. Have a great series, and uh, enjoy New York, and hopefully uh, – from me, Yankees, Red Sox. <laughs> All right, Jimmy. All right. Talk to you later. Take care. All right. My thanks to John Oran and Brian Anderson for joining me on this edition of the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. Don't forget, next week in studio, John Cena on the SI Media Podcast. So looking forward to that. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Take care. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? the number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.